So he's saying, this woman, if she's married to the law, has covenant and is determined in her heart, I'm going to relate to God based on a system of do's and don'ts. And if that reality is alive in your heart, and you try to come over here and spend time with Jesus, your husband over here, the law says, you didn't spend enough time. Because you're still in covenant with the law, and so the law is going to always make you feel like an adulteress, like someone who you should be ashamed of. listening to the Braveheart podcast. For more information about Braveheart Ministries, visit braveheartministries.org. Romans 1, I'm going to read uh, Romans 7, 1. I'm going to read this chapter and then we're going to hop in. So stay with me, okay? <clears throat> A little context, Romans 6, we've already gone over. Um, Romans 6 is very strong in Paul establishing not just the fact that Jesus died for us, but that He died as us, right? So He's establishing this death that happened 2,000 years ago, um, not something that just Jesus did on our behalf, but that we can partake of His death. And because we partake of His death in His burial and His resurrection, we can walk in newness of life. And He says in, in Romans 6.14, He says, For sin will have no dominion or power over your life anymore. Why? Because you're not under law, but under grace. And so we've established that sin, the, the, the promise for the new covenant believer is that sin has lost its dominion over us, assuming that we understand and relate to God in the proper context. Okay? So this is where we hop into Romans 7. This is the context uh, that Paul's been speaking to the Romans. ESV. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. 
Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Amen? Amen. Clear? No? <laughs> All right. Let me, let me draw this out, okay? I'm going to draw you and me. For those of you who don't know, I'm pretty skilled at whiteboard drawing. Okay? This is you and me. So, so Paul has been talking about our our union with Jesus, our resurrection with Jesus. And all of a sudden he starts talking about marriage. Talk, starts talking about a man and woman getting married. You're like, wait, what? And, and he's giving us an analogy to help articulate something that's a little bit complicated and hard to understand. So it'll help us to draw it out. So here's, here's us. And we're going to go ahead and draw. Actually, we're going to be female. Okay? Longer hair, female. Because here's our husband. He's super handsome. He's super spiritual. And he's super good. Okay? And his name is... Nope. It's the law. His name is the law, okay? Because look, I want you to see this, Romans 7, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. Watch this. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage, okay? So he's saying, guys, you had a covenant, you had a covenant with the law. You, you had a covenant relationship with the law. Meaning your, your connection to God was based on the law. Are you guys with me? You guys, you guys stay with me up here? He's saying, Israel, you guys were in covenant with God through the law. And so the law was binding on you. The law is binding in a marriage setting only as long as both people are alive. If one person dies, that covenant is now, you're free from that covenant. Right? you understand that? This is a really important principle. You could not break that covenant unless one person died. So the law of marriage, he's likening to the law in our relationship with God. So he's going, okay, 
So he's laying this out, and he says something really interesting. He says, verse 2 of 7, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Watch this, verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Now watch this. He says in verse 4, likewise. Now we've got to pay attention. Because now he's bringing you and me into this. He gives this analogy that I, I'm convinced that not many of us have absorbed. And he says, likewise. So now he's saying, are you listening? Now pay attention because I'm about to show you where you fit into this. That's what likewise means. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So I'm going to go ahead and, and draw. We're going to draw a cross to represent the death, burial, and resurrection, which is Romans 6. Okay? Now we're in Romans 7. And so he gives this analogy of marriage and he says, okay, there's, there's two husbands. You have the law and you have Jesus. The end goal is for us to belong to Jesus who was raised from the dead so that we can do what? Whoa. So we can bear fruit. It's through belonging to Jesus that we bear fruit. You don't bear fruit by trying to bear fruit. When you belong to the resurrected one, you will bear fruit. As with me? Okay, so watch this. So the goal is to belong to Jesus, to be in covenant union with Jesus. But he's saying, I want to speak to those of you who know the law, who have related to God based on the law. Does anyone in this room, I know, is there anyone Jewish in this room? Not, I don't see any hands. So, for the Jews, their relationship with God was based upon this, this law, the law and the commandments that was given through Moses. Okay? So their relationship was confined by the law. For us Gentiles, we never had the law. We were never meant to have the law. If you study this out in the Gospels, there's two people that Jesus marvels at their faith. Two people. You guys know who they are? The Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman. They're both Gentiles, which means they had no consciousness, they had no law, so they had no consciousness of sin. And Jesus is like, your faith blows me away. Why? Because they had no consciousness of sin. All they saw was Jesus. They, could not, they, they didn't have a law telling them, you don't deserve this miracle from God. So the goal is to belong to Jesus, but he's saying, I want to speak to, you, to those of you who have been relating to God based on a system of do's and don'ts. So here's in this room how you know you've been relating to God based on the law, because we talked about uh, on Tuesday, um, we don't have, not many of us grew up, I, I'm guessing none of us, because no one raised your hand, you didn't grow up trying to walk out the Ten Commandments per se as a Jew. So, but what happened was all of these good things, that, these good practices of the New Covenant believer, like reading your Bible, going to church, praying, they became a law to us. Meaning, we tried to achieve righteousness and freedom from sin and intimacy based on doing those things. That's how you know it becomes a law to you. 
You guys with me? When you try to do the works to become something, then that thing becomes a law. And then when you don't do it, you feel guilty and ashamed. That's how you know it's become a law. And that's why you, many of us, for so many years of our Christian life, we felt disconnected from God because we were never quite able to do all the things right. We never felt like you were doing enough. This is a huge evidence that you're living under the law, is that you have a constant feeling of you're not doing enough. That God is, is there's just a subtle displeasure of the Father towards you because you're not quite there yet. And the fruit of the gospel is you still have the same weakness, you still have the same inability to, to maybe do those things, but the fruit of the gospel is that it connects you to the love and passion and joy of your Father. That's the result of the gospel. So here's what I want to submit to you is that many of us are committing adultery with Jesus. This is what he's saying. She'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. So he's saying this woman, if she's married to the law and has covenant and, and, is, and is determined in her heart, I'm going to relate to God based on a system of do's and don'ts. And if that reality is alive in your heart and you try to come over here and spend time with Jesus, your husband over here, the law says, you didn't spend enough time. Because you're still in covenant with the law, and so the law is going to always make you feel like an adulteress, like someone who's, who's, who you should be ashamed of. You guys okay? You guys see this in your Bible? So there's a remedy. There's a remedy here that Paul is submitting. He's saying... Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law, meaning this covenantal relationship that we had relating to God based on the law, it was this man died through the cross. So this covenant, what's so significant about the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, is it breaks the covenant and the need to relate to God based on the law. There is a death that takes place. Actually, the law doesn't die. I'm sorry. We die. So, so this is what this looks like. Is on this side of the cross, here's our connection. Here's the covenant that we have. Okay. Yay, we're with the law. We're happily married. Okay. And, and there we are, and we're walking along, and then the cross comes. And we come and we identify with the, with the death, burial, and resurrection. And so the law comes looking for you. But he can't find you. Because you've been crucified, you've been buried, and you've come up. And now on the other side, you belong to Jesus. You've, you've married someone else. And, and the person that the law is making demands upon is in the grave. Because now you're resurrected and you're walking in newness of life and you belong to Jesus. So, so that you can bear fruit. So you cannot bear fruit and have a covenant relationship with the law of God. This is not, this is not a light side topic. This is not up for grabs. Some people say, well, I kind of want to relate to, I, I want to relate to God with the law as well. It's like, no, you, you can't. You can, you can have either the law or you can have Jesus. And if you try to have both, you will be committing adultery with Jesus. Wow. That's good. You guys okay? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Do you see this? Okay. Yeah. So now that this has taken place, he starts asking questions. 
Verse 6, now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So now uh, we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. You're going to see that. The way of the Spirit in the way of the law, or the way of the flesh in the way of the Spirit. Now watch this. This is where a lot of people get confused. Okay? He's saying, is the law sin? Is the law sin? No. No. It's right. It's good. It's spiritual. Okay? He's saying the law was actually introduced and it revealed what sin really was. It, it helped Paul and Israel understand what was wrong in God's eyes. Okay, do you understand that? So the law was good in one sense in that it, it said, hey, this behavior's wrong and this behavior's right. And Paul said, I actually would have never known what it was to covet unless the law had said, don't covet. So he said, the problem's not the law. The problem was sin inside of me is the problem. And you're going to see this in Romans 7. He's going to help you because how many of you have been in tension a little bit as we've been talking about we become new in Christ, we, we are no longer under the power of sin. There's that tension now of like, okay, yeah, but I sometimes I keep doing this stuff and I'm what, what gives? Paul is going to help us here in Romans 7 figure out how to walk this thing out. Romans 7 is instruction on how to walk out Romans 6. I'm going to show you that. Pay attention, because it gets a little confusing just with his language. Verse 8, Sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Meaning, meaning this, if, if Boaz doesn't know with me that, that giving me an almond milk latte is, is equivalent to the unforgivable sin. He just doesn't know it. He, I've never told him, I hate almond milk lattes. When I get an almond milk latte, I spit it out, I throw it on the ground, and I turn into, you know, I, I, I rage. <laughs> That's not real. I'm just giving you an example. Like, pretend that an almond milk latte is anathema to me. Okay? And I say, Boaz, go grab me a cup of coffee. And he's like, okay. Goes to Houndstooth. He's like, uh, I bet he likes an almond milk latte. He gets an almond milk latte. He comes and he brings it back to me. And he drops it off. And... And he leaves, because he leaves it on my desk and I'm not there. Boaz is going away and he's cheesing. He's like, I did what I did what Professor asked. He asked me to get the coffee. I went and got it. He's happy. And his conscience, watch this, his conscience with me is crystal clear. He's expecting me to call him going, bro, thank you so much. He's expecting favor and delight from me. Why? Because he has no idea that I hate almond milk latte. He's happy. He thinks that he's so super good with me. But inside, I'm super ticked. And I'm thinking, how did he get this? Why would he get an almond milk latte? Almonds don't even make milk. <laughs> it's a nut. Right? And so now, watch this. Now, watch this. Watch this. So I call him, and I'm like, Boaz, what in the world? He's like, what do you mean? Bro, why'd you get me an almond milk latte? He goes, I, I, I thought you liked that. I hate almond milk lattes. Wait, 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 what? Now all of a sudden, his conscience is defiled. Why? Because the law was presented. Now he feels bad about what he's done. 
in a moment. And what, what changed? Nothing changed except the introduction of the law. So apart from that law, sin lies dead. He would not have known that he sinned had I not told him that I hate the latte, though he did sin against me. Think about that. He's walking around with a clean conscience, though he sinned against me by getting me an almond milk latte. This is the same true with the law of God. Now, I want to I keep going because we've got to figure out if sin is dwelling in Paul, where is it dwelling? Okay, because we've already contended and submitted that he's, he's born again, that his spirit is as righteous as Jesus himself. Okay, so let's see if he's actually saying that sin is in his spirit. Watch. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy uh, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Again, Galatians speaks of this. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So the law presented to Israel says, hey, you, you cannot know God unless there's a Savior. Because this sin problem cannot be solved by the law. So the law, what the law did is it made sin really, really big in the conscience of Israel. Their conscience was so defiled because of this beautiful, holy, righteous law. Okay? And so they could never quite, they were close to God, but they couldn't quite get past that barrier, that law, that commandments. They couldn't belong to Jesus like we do now. Okay? So watch. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Watch this. For I do not understand my own actions. He's talking about actions now. He's talking about what he does. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I, I hate. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So this is really important because Paul, he uses the word I multiple times, but the I is two different aspects of Paul. He's saying one I, I do something. I do something that's wrong. Let's just say he covets because that's the example he gives. So he goes, this is something that I'm doing in his flesh. He's coveting. But he says, over here, he says, if I, I don't want it, if I don't want to do the thing that I hate, he's, he's identifying that there's an agreement inside of him with the law. So he goes, one part of me is doing something, but the other eye is there's an agreement with the law that it's good. Do you see that? He's saying, if I do what I don't want, then I agree with the law that he's good. He's acknowledging, he's not saying, I want to do the things that are wrong. He's saying, I'm doing wrong things here in this, but I don't want to do them. So there's conflict. My flesh is doing one thing, but my inside is saying, don't, I don't want that. And he's acknowledging that his inside, his wanter, has been changed and that it's in agreement with the law of God. Do you see that? He's acknowledging that his wanter, his will, has been conformed to the law of God. He's saying, I'm agreeing with the law that it's good because I don't want to do these things. I'm acknowledging that these things are bad. I'm in alignment with the law. Do you see that? Watch this. 
This is bananas, verse 17. If Paul talked this way today, we would stone him. Churches would stone him. They'd kick him out of his church. So let's say Paul's, you know, doing something he ought not to do. It would be a known sin. He says this, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Hold up, Paul. Paul covets publicly. And we come and we say, Paul, we've, we've all noticed that um, you've been coveting. And he goes, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. No, that was sin dwelling in me. Read your... Read. Verse 17, read it. So now it is no longer I. What do you mean it's no longer I who do it? Paul, you need to take ownership, son. You need to take ownership of your sin. Now he goes, no, it's no longer me. I no longer identify with the thing and the person that's doing the sin. He's teaching you here in Romans 7 to divorce yourself from your sinful nature in light of the cross. Oh, you should be running around this room. He's teaching you how to think now in light of Romans 6 in the cross that you've died, you've been divorced from the law, and this law is making demands. He's saying, okay, it's no longer I who do it. If, if I'm sinning, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Keep reading, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. What do you mean, Paul? That is in my flesh. Oh my goodness. So his spirit has been born again, made righteous. His soul now agrees with the law of God. He's been made righteous in his soul. But he goes, man, my members are still acting up. My flesh has still been trained by the fall of man. He's like, oh, there's this sin, this body of death that's inside of me that's been trained by the fall of man. But my inside is so pure. It's so clean. It's so righteous. And my mind, my, my, my spirit, my wanter is righteous. But there's this conflict now because I'm in this, I'm in this temple. I'm in this body of flesh. And he's, and he's articulating the conflict of someone who has been born again and sanctified, yet they're still learning to walk out righteousness with their flesh. This is the conflict he's articulating in Romans 7. He's not giving you permission to stay and sin the rest of your life and go, oh, man, I used to read this when I was stuck in pornography. I read this and I took comfort in it. Because my framework was that I was never going to be free. And I read this as if a, an example of the Apostle Paul, this is how it's read with many people as well, the Apostle, he still struggled. And to be honest, it's a super lazy interpretation of Romans 7. To extract Romans 7 from Romans 6 and Romans 8 in the entire context of what he's trying to convey to the church, you cannot say, man, he's been talking about set free from sin. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. There's no permission to live in sin. He's saying there is a conflict that begins when your spirit and your soul become a slave of righteousness, but your body has not yet learned to walk that out. Galatians 5 says, if you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's, let's go ahead and just read it. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Same language. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Oh my goodness. Watch this. So, so listen. The person who walks by the Spirit has the law of God written on their heart. 
meaning God doesn't need to demand. 1 Timothy 1.9 says the law, the law is not laid down for the righteous. If I can get you convinced that you're born again and that you're righteous on the inside, I'll never have to tell you what to do again. Why would I have to tell someone who, who is righteous to walk righteously? Because by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, this proves how much we have undervalued what's taking place at the cross. At the cross, I get gloriously born again. The flame of God is set on the altar of, up upon my heart, and His law with His finger is etched into our hearts, which means now we can be obedient from the heart, which means that you woke up this morning if you're truly born again, and you had the desire from inside to do right. No one had to tell you, oh, how many of you woke up this morning and you said, I want to, how much sin can I get away with today? Raise your hand. Just be in the light. <laughs> Is that you woke up and you thought, how much, I wonder how much sin I can get away with today. No, none of you had that thought? No. How clean and pure and righteous must you be on the inside? When was the last time deep, deep, deep down in the gut, in the core of your spirit, you thought, I want to rebel against God because I hate Him? Wow. What's at the core of you right now, if you're honest? It's a deep love for God. And the source of your shame is because the deep love for God, you're not able to walk it out with your flesh. Because you're so used to identifying yourself as the flesh. You're so used to walking with the flesh. You're so used to the mind being set on the flesh. But the mind that's set on the flesh is at enmity towards God. It's hostile towards God. It cannot please God. But the mind set on the Spirit's life and peace. So no, I'm not my flesh. This is a tent that God has given me, and inside I'm groaning, longing to be clothed with my heavenly dwelling. I'm groaning because I know that my flesh, this is just a tent. What you see here coming out of my mouth is not my body. It's I'm living now, walking by the Spirit, because I've come to believe that I am a product of what's happened on this cross. Though no one sees it, though no one may see it initially through your flesh, I've learned to identify with that. Does this make sense? So go back to Romans 7. So nothing dwells good within his flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is what it means to grow up in God. This is where you may be today. He's helping the Romans grow up in God. He says, I want to encourage you. If you have the desire to do right, if you have the desire to be free from porn, if you have the desire to walk in, in holiness and in purity, to be free from anger, to be free from pride and jealousy, if you have that desire, acknowledge that, celebrate it, and, and start to identify with the fact that, God, you have done a phenomenal work in my life through the cross because I actually have a deep desire to please you. You think that came from you? Do you guys remember before you got born again, you did things and it didn't violate your conscience? Come on, some of y'all been born again too long. You remember at the time where you were cut off from God, when you did things and it didn't bother you, your inside didn't want to do good. Your inside didn't have any consciousness that what you were doing, I remember as a little boy, elementary school, I learned how to cuss, and I would cuss up a storm. I would do it by myself. I, do, I just thought it was cool. Right? I had no, the, the concept of having a pure tongue was so far from me. Man, my tongue was filthy. Then I got born again. 
And though initially it was like it took time for my tongue to line up with what came on in the inside, I recognized the desire. I don't want to say those things anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. So you have to learn to identify with what's true in the spirit, not what you see in the flesh. This is what Paul's doing. He's saying, stop. He goes, there's two eyes. There's a part of me that doesn't want to do it. There's a part of me that does it. And I'm telling you, it's no longer I who do it. I'm not associating with that man. That is sinful in my flesh doing that stuff. I'm divorcing myself from my sinful nature. Not saying that you don't confess it. Not saying you don't walk it out. Not saying you don't walk in the light with brothers and sisters. I'm saying inside you don't take ownership that that's your identity. And what's the problem in the church is we've said, well, you need to, that's your identity. You need to take ownership of that. Mm. Instead of helping them build their life on the cross. Again, he reiterates in verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. Paul, you're crazy. But sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Again, he's talking about in his members. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He just hammers this home. He goes, man, in my insides, I'm delighting in the law of God. But I see in my members, which is his flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers the question. Who's going to deliver me from this body? Who's going to deliver me from actually doing the things that I don't want? And he answers the question. He says, thanks be to God (laughs) through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. If you stopped there, you would think that Paul was saying, man, your flesh is always going to sin. But if you keep reading in Romans 8, he says, man, I'm no longer a debtor to my flesh. Because now, as children of God, there's no condemnation, and we live and walk and have our minds set on the Spirit. And then Galatians reiterates it, and every epistle reiterates it, that, man, we can walk by the Spirit. If walking by the Spirit results in not gratifying the desires of your flesh, then the most baby Christian should be able to walk by the Spirit. Come on, stay with me. Walking by the Spirit is not something that you mature into. It's the brand new baby Christian who has to walk by the Spirit. Otherwise, what what the devil says about Romans 5 is, if you stop gratifying the desires of your flesh, you'll be walking by the Spirit. Come on, if you're honest, if you're honest, you think walking by the Spirit is for mature Christians. Oh, he's walking by the Spirit now because he's not gratifying the desires of his flesh. No, that proves that our mind is always flesh first, but the gospel is spirit first. So, so if I'm righteous, I'm going to walk by the Spirit like a righteous man. And if I stumble and fall and do something sinful, I'm going to go, that wasn't me, sin dwelling in me. I'm still who I am because I'm walking by the Spirit. I refuse to let my flesh tell me who I am. I'm going to let Jesus tell me who I am. I'm not for sale. You can't, I may stumble and fall. Listen, I may stumble and fall in my flesh. Sunday night I preached. I said something out of line. The Father rebuked me and I went and repented to the, to the people. So I stumbled, but just because I stumbled with my lips doesn't change what's happened here. <laughs> Come on. I walk by the Spirit. And so just because I did something in my, with, in my flesh or with my tongue that was like, ah, that wasn't quite Jesus. 
as I've learned to walk by the Spirit, here's my promise to you. Your flesh and the power that your flesh has over you just gets less and less and less and less. And those, those sinful behaviors and thoughts that you've tried to overcome so hard by doing all the things, they just, they just disappear because you're belonging to Jesus and you start bearing good fruit. The most baby Christian, if they hear the word of Christ, even unbeliever, God calls them, if they hear the word of Christ, they can walk by faith and by the Spirit. I'm giving you permission. Why? How many of you feel like a rush of strength in your inner, in your inner man? Be honest. You don't have to puff me up. But how many of you feel like, like a genuine sense this morning, like a genuine sense of like, oh, like this is relieving. And you feel like some source of power coming inside of you. Do you know what that is? Does anyone know what that is? No. What was it? It's grace. Do you know why that grace is inside of you? For those of you who go, yeah, I feel it. Do you know why you feel that? Because I've been presenting to you the word of Christ, and your faith goes, yeah. And your faith, like a conduit, opened up, and this is how it happens. God's grace came in his power, and you feel, wow, I can do this thing. So all I, all I ever do is, I'm, you'll see me, this is not rocket science. I present Jesus, I plead with you to, to trust me, to trust Him, and when you do, God's grace comes and you start walking out the things that you so desperately want to walk out. This is how it always happens. Any other questions on this? This is deep. This is really important. Romans 7 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole wide world. I'm not afraid of Romans 7. It is so glorious when you understand the purpose of Romans 7 in light of 6 and in light of 8. When you do something that you know doesn't line up with your inside, it creates a massive conflict. And if you're not grounded in the faith, the devil will come and try to tell you that you are the thing that you did. Which is, which, is, which is so contrary to the gospel and to walking by faith. If I'm a product of what I do, then it doesn't matter what he did. Then just go live by what you do. But we're going to be a people of the Spirit who walk by faith. We're going to be a people who, who, who have permission by the grace of God to walk by faith and walk by the Spirit of God. And here's my promise to you. Here's my promise. If you walk by the Spirit, your flesh will no longer be gratified. You will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And you can walk by the Spirit by simply trusting by faith in who Jesus is and what He's done. That's it. The most bound up, bondage Christian can walk by faith if they hear the word of the gospel. And God's power will come and begin to break chains and they'll go, oh my goodness. Amen? Father, help us. We need your help. Oh, Lord, let your spirit, God, just come and be poured out over these hearts and minds, Lord. We want to walk by the spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Establish our lives on it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. For more resources, visit BraveheartMinistries.org.